This episode of the Keen on Yoga podcast is sponsored by Moments, the booking system we use and highly recommend. Moments allows you to set up classes, workshops, courses, retreats, and appointments, either online, in person, or hybrid. You can take payments using Stripe and PayPal, and the Zoom integration means that clients will automatically receive their link to join. It's easy for you and for your customers. Moments is great for solo teachers, right up to studios with multiple sites. If you do run a studio, The staff payroll feature allows you to manage teacher payments and more. The robust reporting and time-saving automations will save you hours on admin. It really does take care of the whole business side for you. The excellent team at Moments will help you set up or migrate from any other system. And best of all, they offer real support via phone, live chat, and email. They really are there to help whenever you need them. Right now, Keen on Yoga listeners can get a free two-month trial for Moments. Click the link in the description below or visit keenonyoga.com forward slash moments, M-O-M-E-N-C-E, to sign up and give it a go. You'll be glad you did. If you have any questions about moments, feel free to drop us a line at info at keenonyoga.com or by a message on any of our social channels. And now, on to the episode. So today we have Lara Miguel on Keenon Yoga podcast. Um, welcome, Lara, to, uh, to Keenon Yoga we met in Mysore many years ago, and it's nice to finally chat to you. I don't really think we ever chatted in Mysore. Thank you. Thank you yeah. for the invitation yeah. and to be able to yeah. share with you. Mm. Today, it really is one of those occasions where we don't really have a strong topic of agenda. I actually just want to learn about Lara's story. I always found uh, you had a lovely practice in Mysore when, and a nice energy in Mysore as well. So I was always intrigued to hear a little bit about you and uh, also about Lara's from South America. So um, hear about uh, uh, particularly Brazil and the, uh, the, the importance and the growing popularity of Ashtanga in Brazil as well. So I guess we'll start at the obvious place, Lara, and, and just tell us a little bit about how you got into yoga and, and then how you got into Ashtanga, whether that was at the same time or whether it was a gradual process. We'll take it from there. Yeah. It was at the same time. I used, uh, I was a lawyer before practicing, hmm. and I had to pass through a really hard test to get my license to be a lawyer. But I was very confused, my mind very confused. I could memorize, I get really nervous when I get to the tests. Hmm. And then I decided not to study anymore and try to find a way to keep my mind calm so then i found a studio it was straight an ashtanga studio and i started to practice for six months every single day try to be like steady (laughs) and then everything in my life started to work you know like i passed through all those tests and exams and i found a job and then after a year, I quit the job because I want to teach. I want to go to India. So yoga gave me the job I wanted. But at the same time, I had to, to I saw how hard it was to be a lawyer and fight every day 
and and fight in causes that I don't really trust. So then I said I need to quit this and I need to go to India to rediscover myself. I didn't want to teach actually. I just want to go and practice and be open to whatever happens. So when I went to India for the first time, I remember I just took all my high heels out. I gave my high heels. I didn't want my lawsuits. And I went with an empty luggage because I want to wear new clothes. I want to think different. So the first time was like this. Um, I wanted to yeah. scope myself you know when was that how how long ago was that what year and did you go was it Mysore you went to that yeah I went yes to you went Mysore. straight to Mysore right okay yes yeah. it was 2005 I think so okay. and um and then I as I practiced Ashtanga my teacher uh went to Mysore I think like two years before me and she said okay so if you want to go and practice you go to Mysore. So then I arrived, I sent a letter. I never had the letter back. I bought my ticket. I rent a house. I went there. And Sarasvati was there teaching. And Guruji wasn't teaching anymore. He was just there. And um, and I didn't like. I was <laughs> too crowded. I was too fancy. I wanted a teacher that I could be able to chat and to know about Indian culture, about Ashtanga. I was very new into Ashtanga. I practiced like for two years maximum. So then I went to travel in to south of India. I went to Kerala, Chennai, to the Sikachar place and then I didn't practice there I wanted but I didn't send a letter so I couldn't practice so so I was very open I was like this Guruji I didn't know about this and uh, and then I was in Kovalan and I found a Swedish girl we met and then she said no but if you want to go if you want to practice Ashtanga, you should go back to Mysore and practice with Shishatri. Hmm. Was another teacher in Mysore. So then I went back to Mysore and I practiced with Shishadri. So he became my teacher. And we were in a very small group, I think like eight, maximum 15 students. So I could be really close to him and talk and meet his family. Uh, I still, when I go to Mysore, last time I went to Mysore was 2019. I still go and visit him. I went to his uh, uh, son's wedding. So was the the idea I had from a teacher. And so I can say that he was my first Ashtanga teacher uh, after my Brazilian teacher, that it's Karin. Who is who is your Brazilian teacher, by the way? Karin Heuser. 
She right. is now living in uh, in Australia, I think. She moved, and she's not teaching Ashtanga anymore. She left Brazil. Right. And yes. I mean, I didn't know any of that stuff about you. When, I, when you were in Mysore, I met you, obviously, with... Uh, Sharatsji uh, later in the Shala and uh, you seemed very on program with with uh, with the that that kind of community of Ashtanga let's say what made you change I mean you know how's you and how did you find Shashadri because a lot of people won't necessarily know of Shashadri I suppose these days you know I mean, I mean there's so many Ashtanga teachers in Mysore right but at the time it was really like well you go to you know, Sharat and Guruji, or you go to Shashadri or Venkatesh, even before that, you know, like yes. it wasn't so many people, like, you know. Yeah. Yes, like and I was the crazy Brazilian that went to Mysore to practice with a teacher that wasn't uh, mm. Sharat. But Sharat wasn't so big as it's now, because it was in that period of transition. Then I remember later Sharat has his small in, in his house, a small group of students mm. when Guruji was alive. So, so it was in a transition moment. But I didn't know all this. You know, Guruji is the big teacher, Sarasvati, Sharat. I was like, okay, I want to just practice. And I don't care about the hierarchy of the teachers, I just want to go and do my practice. So I had like two ideas of being in India. One was to practice Ashtanga and to know more about the method and find myself through that and then do a charity work. So my first trip to India that I, I stayed two years was like, doing all this plan you know so then after i was practicing shishadri i found a job like a volunteer work in nepal then i stayed there for eight months so you were two years originally in india and then another eight months in nepal like continuously no, no, no. two years right. doing this uh, nepal and india right 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 I came to it's Brazil after a year. Then I stayed in Brazil uh, here uh, 20 days. And then I went back to... Because I didn't want to leave India and in, uh, Asia anymore. I just want to keep in... I, I never thought I would be in Brazil again. Like I found Asia my home place and especially India. So, yeah, right. I started practicing Sharat, I think, 2009, 2010. What made you change? I mean, and again, like for, for people that don't know Shashadri, I mean, what was his teaching like and, and, and what made you decide to seek a different teacher? Yeah, um, because I have a very good friend and she was like really strict to, to Sharatji. And then she said, but if you want to teach, then I started to want to teach. Be before that, teaching wasn't an a idea for me. And then, and then she said, if you want to teach, 
you have to come to the source. So I think it's time for you to come and practice with Sharat. And then I felt that I need more technique or like I needed to know more about the method. But Shishadri is a very good teacher. But, you know, the schedule and the lead classes, Shishadri doesn't teach lead. So then I, I said, okay, so it's time for me to go. But then I think I was ready to be in the shala again because I was more mature in my practice and I couldn't, uh, I, I didn't feel anymore the competition. I was like really straight to my mat. On the first time I went, I felt like, oh, like it's, a, it's very competitive People are asking which asana I am, uh, if I'm on the lead intermediate or primary, if I have a new asana today. So I didn't like that. So when I went on the second time, this didn't disturb me. I was like more stable and confident. So I just look and laugh. <laughs> Yeah. And what what was the charity work you were doing, by the way? I work, uh, yeah, that's another long story. And uh, I went to teach English for Nepali, for Tibetans that had to move to Nepal because of the, the political problems in Tibet. But meanwhile, I met a Portuguese friend that he became a friend later that was building an orphanage for kids and he needed help. So then I stopped teaching English and I went to help him with the orphanage. That The orphanage was to help uh, girls that uh, suffer sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but then the, the project changed we found an orphanage that uh, sell kids to India and to China for prostitution. And then we took that ki- those kids mm. and opened an orf- orphanage for those kids. So it, the, the, the purpose of the project changed. But mm. yeah, so that's the work I did. But uh, as my, I had a lawyer background, my work was like checking the documents, go to the court because Nepal, like it's a, a big mountain country. So they, the, the parents had to travel to Kathmandu. They walked to Kathmandu for five, six, seven days, leave the kids in the orphanage to be able to study. Mm. As in the village, they don't have a good education. So uh, my job was like take the documents of the kids, go to the court and publish in the newspaper where the kids were. So then the parents could go and visit the kids in the new orphanage. Hmm. Right. Nepal is very tricky. They have a... So they, they take the kids to Kathmandu to study, but they right. they don't... They don't uh, investigate which orphanage 
is this. So there are many illegal orphanages that sells the girls for prostitution and to like organs, um, uh, merchandise, like. Oh God. Right. Yeah. So that was my work in Nepal. Right. And I mean, that was still a while back now. So what have you been doing more recently? I mean, how has this, how has the, the teaching progressed? Obviously you said you didn't want to teach. Um, and well, you have been a teacher for many years now and, and a well-known one in Brazil. So how has this this progressed? And, and maybe, well, let's talk a little bit about, um, well, let's also involve the, the history of a little bit of Ashtanga in Brazil and how that's developed. Um, yeah. If you want to talk about yeah. your own role of a teacher and, and other teachers in Brazil, that you know, because it's, it's a very popular practice in Brazil, I believe. Now it is, yes. Yeah. So... Uh, then I came to Brazil after these two years and I opened my shala, but I wasn't authorized yet. But I opened a small shala. I live in Porto Alegre in the, in the very south of Brazil. I'm not in a tropical and beach area. <laughs> so, yeah, then I started to teach and we just had uh, Matthew when I opened my shala teaching Ashtanga. We had Regina also, but I never met her, but I know for sure. And and Matthew used to give all this workshop and and he was the main Ashtanga teacher in Brazil. And Matthew Volmer is a, he's actually English, isn't he? Originally. Yes, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Matthew and Carl. I've heard of him and, and yeah, and they were there in uh, in Brazil for many years, but then they're in Germany they, now or yeah, they they went to Berlin. They opened a shop right. in Berlin, but now they are back in Brazil. Right. Yes, yeah. it's very nice to have him back, and like because he's the the root for us, you know. I have been uh, in talking to him about about having a chat on the podcast as well, actually, but I haven't managed to catch up with him yet. And and how um have you did did you learn from Matthew or did you learn from any Portuguese? I'm um, sorry, Brazilian teachers as well as yeah. as as in, in yeah. I practice with Matthew, mm. I think, like just workshops, very few workshops, because I straight went to India. I want to, to go there and, and to, to know Ashtanga from India. I wanted to connect with India. <laughs> you know, I like Indian culture. So Matthew was never my teacher, but he's a good friend and... I really respect him as a teacher, but uh, I never practice. I never learn with a Portuguese or Brazilian teacher instead of mm. just uh, uh, my first teacher, Katja Karin, that taught me the primary series and a, a little bit of intermediate. Mm. But all I know is from India. So, yeah, then... Because Brazil is very far from India, and it's really expensive for us to go. Mm. So in that time, in that moment, we didn't have many teachers. Then we have Elena, we have Tiago, um, we have uh, we had Mario that he 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 stopped teaching Ashtanga after a while. We have this like group after Matthew that is start to teach and start to open their own shalas. But it was a very small thing. 
in Brazil at that time. I think now it's big. Now it's very big. Now we have a new generation going to Mysore. It's really easy to go now. Right. And with the connections, with the internet, with the iPhone. <laughs> because the time we went was by letter. And then we we didn't have news from home. We had to go to learn houses and was scary. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I think the thing is that it was there was so much uncertainty around the early trips because you just wrote the letter and you didn't get a reply and then you couldn't like find your accommodation easily and all these things had to be kind of word of mouth, whereas yes. they've really changed now and you can do everything online, really. But do you think yeah, that... Uh, that way, you know. Do you think Ashtanga has, has taken a particular route in Brazil for any, for any reason or is there anything specific you'd like to say about the way that it's developed in Brazil? I mean... Obviously, you have like a, a, a body culture already in Brazil. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's already kind of like, it seems like it would be a good fit, let's say. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so Ashtanga is really physical, mm. you know, but through our body, like opens the door to the philosophy, you know. But I think Brazil, it's like really body. Yeah. Uh, I don't see... I always I, imagine that, yeah. Yeah, I see some students after some years start to study the yoga philosophy and start to be interested in that. But what makes a Brazilian students not 100%, I can't say about everybody, but they... What I feel here is that they want to body work. They want to be like strong with good muscles, skinny. So I think that's my big challenge in Brazil. As my, uh, my yoga path is not related with the physical was related about finding a purpose of life, like finding myself. Uh, I think that's the, my challenge in here, like to, to, mm. to say to people that is just a way to get there. It's not physical, it's not the end of this practice. But I think it's a very physical, it's like a really show up and clothes, like really like pink, red, green clothes. And then... I mean, you're saying all the things that I was kind of had in my mind <laughs> about, about Shanga in Brazil, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think... I think it is a way, it has been taken in a certain spirit there, which is kind of fun, you know, and, and flamboyant. And, you know, I mean, I can remember the Brazilians at the front in Mysore, you know, in the front in the rows, the front rows in Mysore, you know, and, and then that, you know, the, the kind of showy and the handstand and the, you know, and, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a fun thing, isn't it? You know, yeah. And, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I do see, I do think you have your work cut out there in Brazil to teach it from a diff, probably more so than some places, perhaps to teach it from a different angle, maybe. But I mean, along yeah. those lines, I mean, you, you know, I know you these days from all your social media on Ayurveda. You've, you've studied extensively since your return. 
to become an Ayurvedic uh, consultant practitioner. However, I don't, I don't think we call them doctors. I don't know how you call yourself, but um, <laughs> you know, can you just talk a little bit about that? I think that that will be very interesting and how you relate that to the practice and your overall vision of what you're doing now. You know, yeah, just here. here. I think yes. I have this way to teach and. The, the group that came before me and in the same moment as I came, I became authorized. I think we have a big uh, difference from the teachers that um, went in Mysore after this big boom, <laughs> you know, and the teachers that came after. I think Mysore became very crowded. The, relationship with Sharat like it's not is not is more about um, um it's a competition to have a relationship with him and I didn't find this on my time in Mysore so I think the teachers that became from that period has this idea and bring this idea to the classes that Ashtanga is not just physical I have my friends Thiago, Elena, and Lucia that they have this approach. You know, it's just, it's a, it, I think we are living another moment in Ashtanga in Brazil that became like... Right, you know, right, right. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I mean, you know... Practitioners in my classes, sometimes I, I ask my students just to eat. <laughs> oh, God. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. No, I know it's a different era. It is a different era, isn't it? And I mean, I forgot about Lucia as well. Yeah. Yeah. Where is she these days? Somewhere Ibiza or somewhere like that, isn't she? In Spain somewhere. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, all these old people. I mean, you know, it's a a bit of a segue, but I mean, I think you're making an important point there that there's definitely been different eras. And in those different eras, just due to the logistics of how things have been set up, a different kind of approach has kind of been engendered, it's been created amongst the people that have been there. So, you know, at the time you mentioned, it was a funny time and I was there at the same time, you know, where that was the end of the Batabi Joyce area, you know, yeah. and, the, and so those old teachers, you know, were still kind of now and again coming for Batabi Joyce, but they weren't really in the same manner, you know, uh, coming, you know, and it was a very different time. And then obviously, you know, the transference of power was changing and people were, you know, starting to go much more towards Sharat, who was previous to that, you know, very much on the sidelines, you know, it was all about Batabi Joyce, you know. And, uh, you know, and, uh, and those teachers that were around at that time, you know, as you said, it wasn't a, it wasn't really a bun fight to uh, to talk to or to develop a relationship with Shirachi because uh, it was very much open and possible, you know, at that time. You know, I remember the Purple Valley retreats because I was running Purple Valley, you know, and, and we used to bring him down there and, and uh, he would just be sitting there at dinner. Like you could go up and talk to him one to one for 20 minutes easily, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a different time, you know. Um, and I, I think you're right in saying that it, it probably did help with creating a different kind of attitude around it whereas now you know you said it was competitive then but i imagine now and i haven't been for a number of years but i imagine now it's become a different level of uh of kind of you know the way that people are trying to kind of get some kind of contact with with Shirat, which is natural and noticeable you know because you do want contact as you said straight away with your teacher you know yeah yeah and and we used to learn intermediate and third in Mysore. But now in Brazil, we have more teachers. So we are teaching 
this is students advanced postures so now we have a really good group and powerful asanas practitioners that we didn't have before right so also the the, the level in asana right is really high I yeah. remember, do you remember the lead intermediate with Sharat? We we were like 15, 20 students. Yep, I do. I do. unfortunately I <laughs> all too well. I remember that. Yeah. And now it's like, yeah. Wow. I know everyone's doing it. I I think that marks a general kind of dissemination of it, though, right? Because at the time it was only a few of us, and then you know, and the level like, I mean, I remember learning intermediate in the UK and it was only like, you couldn't really learn it from many people because it wasn't done that much, you know, whereas now it's like almost like if you're not doing intermediate, then you're, you know, you're really a beginner as such, you know, which is not yes. the case, but you know, that's, that's the kind of, you know, like, I think it was said by a, maybe, I know it was said by my wife, but I think other people as well, like, you know, like advanced is the new intermediate, you know, like, because everyone does intermediate now. So now it's like, well, if you're not doing advanced, then it's like, you know, like that, you know, so the, the bar is constantly being pushed and, and you're right. I mean, it's like, there are the level of, of people doing the advanced asanas and the intermediates is there's so many more people and the level is perceivably higher, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. The yeah. shame is that uh, on the beginning of my teaching path, I receive more old students like was like old and young students. Now old people they don't want to practice. They don't. You mean literally old, old in age? Yeah, old in age. Older people. Oh, really? I get the opposite. I have older people come to me now that they want to practice. The older people are wanting to practice Ashtanga, and the younger people, I think, they just go to some vinyasa or something which is much more fun. But yeah, I find my my level of student has gotten older, not younger. Actually, uh -huh. yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, because they didn't know what Ashtanga was, but now with the social media, they know and they look at that, all those asanas and say, oh, no, I can't do this, so I'm going to do a Hatha Yoga class. Right. Mm -hmm. so I think this changed a little bit. But okay, I think it's it's just, I, I feel that the public, the students are changing. Yeah, but I think maybe what it is, is that in, in Brazil the yoga has been later. So what you haven't got maybe the explosion of all the different yoga scene. Whereas, you know, in, in, you know, in the U S and in, in, in Europe, you've got all these different yogas, which are like a, for the younger people, which has got the music and all the different things, you know? And so those old Ashtanga people, they, they've stuck with the Ashtanga and they've gotten older, you know, whereas all the young people coming into yoga now, they don't go to Ashtanga, you know, they're going to these new ones, you know, just like uh -huh. when we got into yoga, it was like, well, you've got Yenga, you can do that, but it's a bit slow, or you can do Hatha, but it's even slower. And then it's like your one choice of something faster is Ashtanga. So like, you know, that was obvious, you know, but now if I was a young person, I probably wouldn't necessarily get into Ashtanga because you've got all the, the different new ones to get through first kind of thing. And it's so strict. Yeah, it's strict. It's repetitive. You haven't got the music. I don't, I don't know. I, I like, I'd like to think I would do it, but I'm, I probably would probably would be swayed to do something more, more um, you know, immediately fun and, and variable, I suppose. I, yeah. I don't know. But, uh, yeah. you know, 
without going on too much of a segue, I do want to have a little bit of time to, to discuss the Ayurveda and how it relates to the yoga, because I think it is important. And people often said it's like a two wings of a bird, like you need the yoga and the Ayurveda, and they were always taught together previously. And and these days, it's like they're very much yeah. separate. And, and certainly yeah, what I, I noticed, and you mentioned with the students and, and, um, and telling them to eat and that kind of thing, is that half of it is really, it's not about the yoga physical, it's about just general lifestyle around the yoga. And I think most people don't really have any context or way to kind of help with that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, because in Ayurveda, we have all this technique to have healthy and a good life, a long life. So if I have a physical asana practice that depletes my body, that takes my immunity, my my uh, my audience that we call in Ayurveda, it's not working for Ayurvedic perspective. So I try to bring this balance to my students to have a healthy asana practice they, they, that they don't lose muscles and fat, you know? Mm-mm. So I think it's, I, it's easily uh, could easily be the case. I think it's, it's a good point. Easy. Yeah, with Ashtanga especially, it's a depletive, you know. Yeah. yeah. When I see students practicing intermediate and third, like with all those arm balances, it's like a practice of two hours and 20, 30 minutes. I I don't let them do it. <laughs> I cut. I split in. Like everyone, I split in a different asana if I feel like I just uh, let my intuition work on that. And okay, so do the whole intermediate and in, in or, or do until Karandavasana uh, and then do uh, to Galavasana, for example. I, I take away some asanas when I see that the student is getting really skinny or they don't sleep, hmm. you know, hmm. the practice is to give us a stable and happy life, hmm. Hmm. take us the juice of life, you know, and just hmm. practice. So that's the way I bring Ayurveda to the practice. And also when I see some unbalance, uh, I give like some pranayamas, for the kaphas, for example, that they they have like mucus problem and digestive problems uh, mm. when it's winter here because the winter here is very humid and cold, not your English cold but Brazilian cold. And it's like twenty degrees or something. Yeah. Oh, so, it's a bit cold. Yeah, no, but <laughs> you need to wear a light jumper. We have here like four degrees Celsius. Okay, that's pretty that's cold, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Ten. Did and you I give bastika for these students? I give some pranayamas, and they feel really, really good. Or some uh, bastis, and I give like through the practice. I try to to give some Ayurvedic techniques to help them. Did you start the Ayurveda due to your own experiences, or did you? I mean, was it through? 
your own need or through your your like through your own experience because i'm just thinking about my own time in mysore and how you mean you knew you were doing it as well i know that these advanced postures especially the the advanced series leg behind the heads and this how stimulating they can be and how you want to regrounding really right you're kind of it's easy with the mysore heat the sweat lose that ojas to lose that that vitality and then you're doing all these spinal stimulations so much you know and so you're not only tired, but you're also overly wired, overly stimulated, you know, and uh, and there appears to be the need to balance this somehow. But I think we've lost that. I mean, even in you know, I remember in India when we were spending a long time running Purple Valley, and the, the Indians would say to me when I was choosing something at a restaurant at certain points, they would, no, you don't eat that now. This it's is the winter now. You, you you know, this is the, not the food for that time, you know, like, and so there's evidently this kind of knowledge of different things to ground and stimulate and, you know, in traditional cultures there, even, even still now, you know, but I think as a Westerner coming, you just push as hard as you can, you know, and then you're getting more postures and i th- you can see and i know obviously you're speaking as well that, that it can easily unbalance a student who yes. hasn't got any other grounding in terms of lifestyle choices like myself you know, yeah. at the top yeah and when you think about longevity and have this strong practice until you get older you need to nourish yourself with food and oil and good sleep you know so I, I'm not the, a teacher that is going to tell these students to practice at 4 a.m. in the morning. Like, no, you have to sleep. Practice, like, 10, teach, uh, teach and practice. Don't wake up at 3.30. You are mm. going to have, like, uh, problems to sleep when you get older. You know, so when we are young with this practice and with the knowledge that this practice is to balance our system, we create disease. And mm. and when you are young, just doing all these strong asanas and feeling really special of doing all these strong and hard asanas, you don't think about the future. No. So, you know, future, when you're young, you never think about the future. Yeah, <laughs> as a teacher, I have to tell my young students to, okay, stop. You are going to get old. And if you want to keep this practice, you have to nourish yourself to keep this. Because when you, you, you get 40, when your menopause start to come, you are going to have really hard pains because women we have this period of life that everything comes back the way you treat your body when you were younger comes back in the menopause so if you don't look at this and as a teacher i need to advise them is their option but they need to know that if they treat with violence, their body, they are gonna to mm. to, to lead with these after. Fantastic! Yeah, thanks for thanks short. for saying that. Yeah, mm. and, and uh, when I think about my Ashtanga life and all these crazy asanas that we used to do, 
and now I'm not with this uh, uh, enthusiasm anymore. I do, but it's not like, yeah, I want to do. Sometimes I feel like, sometimes I don't feel like. Sometimes I just do primary and intermediate for the whole month and I don't want to see a third. Sometimes I'm like, okay, my routine is good. I'm I'm not traveling. I want to focus on my third. And then I'm happy, but I don't deplete my body for that, you know? And when I see this, uh, my background, and um, it's too short. We have a really short asana, strong practice. It's like, if you started to, it's like 20 years. Mm. It's short. Because then we have more 40 to live in a, in a healthy and, and stable so you, life. So you're saying it should be short. The, the, the intense asana period should, should be shorter. Is that what no, you're saying? What I'm saying no. is that we have this energy to do strong asanas and the... the um, you know, when it's new, when we wake up and practice and go to Mysore and uh, don't have partner, don't have kids, don't have anyone just because of, of the practice is a really short time if you see mm. the life in long term, you know. So if I'm going to die uh, when I turn 80, and I had a really strong Mysore life from 20 to 40 is really short. So I can't have these 20 years to deplete my body because I have, I need more 40 years of a healthy body. I see. Yes. Yes. So practicing, I mean, you know, the thing is what you're saying is very, very relevant, but so few I think so few teachers are still really having that long-term view. And I think that one of the problems is that the, the student is encouraging, the student is wanting. So it's almost like the teacher, especially now in a competitive in a competitive world, the teacher ends up giving the student what they want and feeling like they're selling the practice or selling themselves. And because no one wants to hear, oh, just take it gently, you know, like a young person, oh, just take it gently and think about when you're 50. I mean, no young person wants to hear that, you know. So it's not a, such a popular message as, hey, you know, we're going to help you do an advanced asana, and right? Like it's going to be really dynamic. And, you know, like it's, it's a, the long-term viewpoint is, is less marketable, let's say, you know. Yes. Although, but obviously, in, you know, when you come to 40, like you are and I am, you know, I'm sure you're not really 40, but, um, you know, um, you know, it, we, uh, you know, you, you pay the price for, for, for these kind of, you know, things when you're young. And I'm sure you pay the price to a certain extent. I certainly would say I pay the price for over, over pushing when I'm young. You know, I would have done it differently had I gone back and done it again, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I, f- I feel that I need to tell to my students when they are like mm. learning Kapotasana and they do Kapotasana, they don't catch the heels and then, in the same class, they try again to to go, mm. to, and then the third time they go. as stop. We have tomorrow. You can you can do the same asana tomorrow. You don't have to do three, four, five times kapotasana. 
you know, and and I sometimes I feel angry. Like, what do you want to prove to yourself that you you can do on the third or on the fourth time in one master class? We have six days a week, just to breathe and enjoy. If you don't can't if you can't grab your heels. Yeah, I mean it's such an obvious message, but it's so nice to hear someone else saying it to you, and I. It, I kind of think of you, I, even for me, if you'd said that to me in that kind of way, when I was young, if I was in your class, I might have actually listened to you and not, you know, and so, I mean, it's such a simple thing and everyone kind of knows it or a lot of people know that it's not right. It's this compulsive and, and obsessional pushing and five times, 10 times Karindavasana, Kapatasana, leg behind head, you know, but uh, it takes someone to say it to you, to reinforce it to yourself. You don't need to do this. You know, you don't you don't ever need to do this. Or or if you do want to do this, then give yourself time, you know, let it happen naturally and, and without, without forcing and without pain, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I noticed after the online uh, Ashtanga classes started now, because in our time, we, for me, it was like this. I learn a posture. I the advanced postures. I come back home and I just I had to keep working on that. And I had no teacher. And Sharat was in India and I was in Brazil. So if I had a good chance to go and visit him was in six months, but sometimes it took a year to meet him again. So for the whole year that I didn't didn't see him, I practiced the same asana as he gave me. And now with the online classes, you can see many teachers every single day. And every day, if you if you go if you do a good asana in a, in a good figure perspective, the next day you receive another asana. But it's an advanced asana that your body needs to digest, needs to understand, needs to be like able to receive the asana. So now is too fast. And I remember when the online classes came, I had few students that were practicing third that I knew knew personally. And then new students came because they want to do third. And I I receive on the beginning, but then in the end, I was like, I don't like to teach third for people that I never met personally, that they that are not my students, that I don't meet in workshops, that they don't follow me, like, in a way. So I start to stop t- teaching third for them. Mm. And they went out and they went to right. practice with another teacher. And this another teacher give postures. But I didn't want to give. I want to give. I travel the, the whole country. They can meet me once a year, twice a year. You know, because I think... It's true. Your, yeah, your students would be Brazilian as well, wouldn't they? Because it would be in, you know, Portuguese. Or it could be Portuguese, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So are you are you teaching are you teaching online still or what are you teaching now? Are you teaching in person? How do you, how and where are you teaching? Right. I have my shala. Okay. But I also teach online. I still teach online. 
And I have a very nice group now since last year. I have a really strong and friendly and simple students online. So I don't want to quit because I, I feel that we, we built such a sincere connection that I don't, I don't like to, to stop that. But mm. I don't receive new online students. You don't? No. Oh, right. Okay. Hmm. Right. Yeah. So you're, you're happy with the group you've got? Yes. And I think right, we are right. doing hmm. a great job and mm. understanding mm. the practice. I don't mm. want these big online students that... Because the relationship, the, like to travel, yeah, to... To be able to sit and have a tea with your teacher, this is so precious, and I don't want the my students to lose this, you know, to lose this connection and just like buy asanas from online classes. Yeah, yeah. Well, if I ever find myself in in Brazil, in the south of Brazil, I should come and see you. Be have some. Have you tell me not to? not to push myself so much <laughs> that'd be lovely to hear um have you got any any further any final advice and you know that ayurveda has given you for the practice any and you know any 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 particular things that you might say to to a listener about you know take take home basic take homes for ayurveda that you might apply to a yoga practitioner anything that comes to mind particularly abhyanga like to do to oil to use oil okay to the oil yeah 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 every day is not like just on the rest day but like every day um some breathe techniques and and focus on the breath because that's not ayurvedic this is ashtanga but we lose the breath to extend the breath you know mm. so Oil and good breath can nourish your body. Hmm. Yeah, Asana I actually... with those two, I don't trust that we can have a long <laughs> asana practice. Right, right. Any any particular foods or ideas of diet at, at all? Then it's very individual. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You know, and no one wants to get no one wants to get into diet particularly. <laughs> yeah, because then we have like three types: the kapha, the vata, and yeah, the vata. yeah. So yeah. we have like the sattvic food that we can we can check that in Hatha Yoga Pradipka. But uh, in Ayurvedic perspective, uh, some doshas need more oil warm food like a kapha can't have oil uh, need more spices so this is very individual yeah 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 but you think that food is an important part of it as well you do you advise students on food much do you think it's important it's important to check how the digest the digestion right. is mm. this is very important right so you do you do that with your students as well? Do you talk about yes. that? Yes. Right. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. When I they come with, the, with some some problems, we always check how the digestion is, how they sleep. 
and the routine, like mm, how many hours you are working, how your sleep, your dreams. Mm, when you is, sleep is very important. You know? That's what I'm getting for you from you yes. for a number of times. Right. Yeah, I wish I'd heard that as well. When it, kind of waking up at one thirty, I don't know whether you ever did that, but you know, I used to kind of do that whole, you know, wake up really, really early, and then you know, do your practice and teach. And as you say, it's a, a with along with the, the 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 advanced asanas, it's kind of it could easily get to kind of try to kind of the Ashtanga can make you feel very special, right? Like you're doing these advanced asanas practice, you get up at one a.m. in the morning. It's like you know those people that need to or want to feel special it's an easy buy-in you know <laughs> there's things that can make you feel you know superhuman or special about it you know but in the long term those are the very things that really destroy you you know i mean getting up really early for years on end you know the practicing you know continuously practicing i think an, an advanced practice without any rest or respite you know um so yeah what you say is very yeah very i really Reasonable. I really like advanced postures. It's beautiful. I I like what I my to feel my inner force when I do advanced posture. It's amazing. But we have to balance. Mm, mm. When I see the students getting in the shell in the morning, I start to teach at six a.m. and I know I know my students and when they come, and I see that. The face is different. I always ask, did you sleep well? No, I couldn't sleep. I woke up at three. Okay, so you do primary today. <laughs> ah, but I want to do... No, you are not going to do. You are going to do primary. <laughs> no. So that's the way I try to be, bring Ayurveda. Right. Mm-hmm. Hey, if you didn't sleep, if you didn't eat, if you work like crazy the day before... You can do advance. Mm. Very nice. Injecting some some sensibleness into the Ashtanga method. You're you're still one of a few people doing that. Um, Lara, just to wrap it up, then um, have you got just I often say this. I don't always say this anymore, but but sometimes I do this one. Can you just give me a one guilty pleasure? We say one guilty pleasure. One thing you have, and it's not you don't have to be guilty about it, but one thing you're, just about you that you, you enjoy in life and one inspiration, one thing that inspires you, just to finish our, our chat together today. What's inspired? Don't think too much. Don't think too much. Something what? which it could be a book, a person, a place, a, uh, an idea, anything, you know. Whoa. Many things inspire me. But what inspires me now is like old teachers that has vitality and they still love the practice uh, and they still searching for answers about living, about Hmm. the soul, about spirituality. You know, this is this inspires me. I have a friend Great. here mm. in Brazil. She's around seventeen, and she's Buddhist, and she never stops studying about philosophy, just to get more inside of her and ask mm. questions. So, 
it's not one person or one philosophy, but what inspires me is the Mumukshutwam, is the, 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 how we say in English, the, the one that. Inquire? Yeah, that study. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. And the not goes to fi uh, through, uh, uh, find the knowledge, and the knowledge yeah. never ends. So this inspire me a lot when I see older people still studying, and still studying also Ashtanga, you know, trying to to find and to refine Ashtanga and to keep practicing Ashtanga in a in a in a gentle way, this is very inspiring for me. And your guilty pleasure? My pleasure. My guilty yes. pleasure. Yeah. Just don't say chocolate. But, you know, you can, or coffee. It's boring. Yeah, my guilty pleasure for vegans uh, is when I am in the coast and I love fish and seafood <laughs> right well you're vegan the rest of the time you're a vegan are you and then you go to the coast and you eat this no the, i'm not or, no vegan. no right okay as i invented, it would be guilty if you were a vegan it would be a guilty pleasure but if you're not a vegan it doesn't have to be guilty in it i guess yeah, yeah. uh and uh pizza <laughs> I that's a new one. I don't think we've had. I don't think we've had that yet. Uh, so I'm very pleased with that one. Thank you. Yeah, and another guilty. Yeah. Uh, you got more. Pleasure for tongue is is I love to sleep until eight a.m. If I could teach at nine, I would be very happy. But I really don't like huh. to wake up at four thirty and five. It's it's an effort. I really love to stay in bed in the morning. Nice. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, and Lara, amazing. Um, yeah. Okay. Thanks for chatting with me. And it's been a really nice to get to know you a little bit. And uh, yeah, wonderful. Thanks for yeah, taking the time. Good. I know that it's a message that I really feel is really relevant to people to get out there. And, and I'm really pleased that you said some of the things you did. So thanks again for, for coming on and sharing with us. I thank you.